Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, you hear me say this every week, my favorite time of the week is when I get to be here with you my listeners who listen live on iHeartRadio, and those of you who listen to the shows as I post them to podcasts around the world, for me, this is my chance to have incredible conversations with people who inspire me, who get me thinking differently, that make me say to myself, the way I'm thinking about this now, is that the way I should be thinking about this tomorrow or the next day in the future at some point in time. How can I improve my life, my perspective, shift the way I'm thinking about things? And last week was my birthday week, and I had Wayne Purnell on the show, and he and I were talking about, you know, how to find your best self during times of crisis. It was everything that was going on in the world. And I was going through a little bit of a, a personal crisis myself around my birthday. It's, it's still hard. Mom's only been gone a couple of years. So I'm still getting used to not having somebody make my birthday extra special. And last week, a number of you reached out to me to wish me happy birthday, and my friends, Bobby Gavanis and several others, held a big Zoom birthday for me. And it made me really think about who I am and what people think of myself. And the words that people used on the Zoom birthday describing me really got me thinking about heartfelt and how you inspire people without you even realizing what you're doing, which was perfect considering my guest this week is a friend who I've actually never met, but I've stayed in her house. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just love that story, and we're going to talk about that. Um, my guest today is Deb Bulkus. She is the author of several amazing books, including her most recent one, Heartfelt Leadership, How to Capture the Top Spot and Keep on Soaring. And I was introduced to her by a mutual friend, Deb Lewis, who you all have heard me talk about many, many times. She was first female graduating class of, of West Point and a dear, dear friend. And, and Deb Bulkus, she introduced us, we were supposed to meet at your house for a weekend getaway, and you couldn't be there because you had a new grandbaby, but you said, stay there anyway. Talk about leading with heart. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I felt terrible because it was that morning. I mean, who knew when the baby was going to come? But at 5 a.m., I got a phone call on the day you were supposed to arrive with, with Deb Lewis, and my son was on the other end of the line and said, we've just gone to the hospital, and it was three-hour drive from our home. And he said, you've got to get up here and be here for the birth of the baby. So <laughs> I just thought, well, what the heck? I called up Deb, and I said, hey, we're not going to be here. I'll leave the key out for you. Go ahead and spend the weekend, and, and, and we'll see you next time. So <laughs> and you had a refrigerator full of food for us that you had bought for when we were all going to be there together. And I just remember feeling that the house was filled with so much heart. Thank you. 
Well, it was ready. We were ready to have a great time for you. I just felt bad that I was not there to serve you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the funny part is you did serve even without being there. And, And that's one of the things that I really took from both of your books, The Wow Factor Workplace, How to Create a Best Place to Work Culture, and your latest book, Heartfelt Leadership, was this whole idea of true leaders, even when you're not there, you're there. Well, yes. In fact, there should not be a void or a vacancy when you're there. That that whole aura of you should be there for people to feel and to to remember. Now, you had nothing to remember other than the fact that you had been invited to my home. But, yes, I mean, I think all of us, our homes kind of resemble, reflect who we are as individuals. And, and of course, I was ready for you to come, so everything was set up, the guest rooms and all of the little niceties that uh, I don't know if I left too many out there because we ran in a bit of a hurry. But, um, but yeah, we were certainly looking forward to having a wonderful time getting to know you. And, of course, we live in, a, in, a, in just a beautiful area, and I knew you'd have a good time once you got here, whether you were in the home or not. Um, but I'm glad it worked out for you, and I'm, I'm still waiting to, uh, to have you come back and, and actually stay in my home when I'm here. <laughs> That would be great, considering we're only, what, two and a half, three hours away from each other, and you guys have to come down here to Sebastian at some point in time as well. Absolutely, and we'll look forward to that. Yeah, so, you know, I was reading the book, and one of the things that I started thinking about, because, I mean, you've had a career where, I mean, you've been put on the spot where you were told to basically let go your entire staff, even though they were performing, because there was a downsizing happening when you worked at AT&T. Yep. Um, you've worked at IBM post the original IBM culture yep. of, um, you know, sing-alongs and <laughs> the, the ties and the suits with the white shirts and, and all of that. So you're, and you've worked as a woman in technology-oriented firms, which is not typically an easy thing to do, have been a woman in tech myself and, and led a company myself. Why is it that people really aren't talking about this concept about heartfelt leadership? Oh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, and I, I think a lot of it... Um, Personally, having been to business school, having an undergrad in business, having gotten an MBA, um, at least in the universities that I attended, MBAs, for the most part, during the the, the decades around the time that I was in uh, graduate school, everything was very analytical and quantitative. And it was really all about numbers. I mean, you, you, I'm sure most people are familiar with the phrase, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. But the fact of the matter is, whatever you're measuring means you're measuring in hindsight. You're looking backwards. Now, hopefully we can look at analytically the numbers and project forward, but there is so much focus on making numbers that people forget what is it that allows you to make the numbers. And it was interesting as I wrote these books and I was interviewing a number of people, um, and we were out there specifically looking for heartfelt leaders. And heartfelt doesn't mean necessarily that you lead from your heart or that you wear your heart on your sleeve and you're emotional and people know your emotions just by looking at you. That is not at all what heartfelt leadership is. It's using your head, 
but to understand other people and to inspire them in, in such a way that it touches their hearts, that you touch their hearts by knowing what's important to them, what, is, what are their passions, what are their objectives for their, for their own lives. And, and then you help them achieve those things. We didn't learn that in business school. We weren't learning that in MBA programs. We were given um, Harvard business cases, and we were all told to solve them, and everybody had different concepts of how this CEO in this particular case should have handled the issue. But it was very analytical, and it was very numbers-oriented. And so I, I think, I don't know that that's the only reason, but I think that is a major factor that it's, it's difficult to, to teach leadership. How do you teach someone to care <laughs> if it's not something that you were born with? Um, it, it's, it's a very difficult concept to teach people. It's, it's like you, it's almost as though you have to have role models that you follow, even if it's a role model who is a bad role model. Uh, and I've had, I've had plenty of role models that I didn't want to emulate, and I didn't necessarily learn what to do for, from those folks, but I learned I don't want to be like that. And somehow, I think I had a wonderful role model in my father who was with IBM. He was very beloved, and, and you know, all, of, all of us kids loved him. Um, he inspired us that there was nothing we couldn't do. Um, but he so cared not only about us as his family, you would expect somebody to care for their family, but when my folks would have parties at their home and would invite uh, senior executives from IBM and their spouses to dinner, and I was a teenager, whatever, helping my mom serve, and uh, I was kind of the helping hand, <laughs> serving cocktails or whatever, if you will, not cocktails, but the food. Hey, and I served cocktails when I was young, too. My parents made them, and I carried them out to everybody. <laughs> you betcha. You do it in your own house. I mean, you're not working out in a restaurant. You're in your home, but... Um, I could see what wonderful personal relationships, and this was the old IBM, the, the IBM that sang songs. Um, they had wonderful personal relationships with each other. They knew their, each other's spouses. They knew their kids. They understood their families. They were in everything together, and they, all, they were all dependent upon each other for their success. You know, if one failed, they all failed. And so they were very much in it together. And so... As I answered your question a minute ago about it being in the MBA programs where we, we started just really learning on focusing numbers, something else happened, and that was in the, in the 80s when major corporations for the very first time started going through dramatic downsizings. And that, that story is in my book when I worked at AT&T. It was the very first Fortune 100 company in the United States to go through a massive downsizing, and we, we laid off 27,000 people um, that year in 1987. I was part of that. Got, I, I wasn't laid off, but I had to lay off my entire staff. And um, I think it's because things like that happen where it, it violates a trust that the employee and the employer had with each other for so many years. And when trust is violated, it is really hard to get that back. And people start getting much more protective of themselves. And if you read any of Brene Brown's books, you know, she talks about putting on armor. Um, you know, we all put this armor on every day to protect ourselves. 
Like, I don't want to care about somebody else because I could get hurt. It's, it, we all feel like we have to keep ourselves from getting hurt. But as Brene Brown says, we've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be authentic. And it's, it's those leaders, and particularly if you know people in the military, the best military leaders are those that their people will follow them anywhere because you got my back, I got yours. I am here for you no matter what it takes, even if it costs my life. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that people think the military is so macho, but at the end of the day, it's that heartfelt leadership that, that wins battles and wins wars. I, I remember the time period you were talking about with the massive layoffs that happened then, and I remember thinking to myself, this changes everything. It was all of a sudden the shift that, well, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about staying at this same company for my entire career. They're not going to look out for me, so I need to look out for myself. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It was, and it was such a shock. Having, having grown up in a family where my, my father had been with IBM his entire career. I mean, IBM had been around for quite some time when he joined it. And even though IBM was a Fortune 100 company, it was a, uh, the Fortune 500 just came into being in 1955, but, which was right after my father started working at IBM. But IBM was really run as a family business. Um, the, the, one of the original founders, not the original founder because IBM evolved out of another company way, way back at, uh, in the early 20s, a uh, hundred years ago, um, but it was the, 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 what is the guy that's really known as the founder of IBM, Thomas J. Watson, um, his, he brought his sons into the business. His son, Thomas Watson, Jr., took over as the second president, became the, the third CEO of IBM, and it, it ran as a family business who cared about each other. They cared about everyone who worked with them and for them. And in fact, Thomas Watson Sr. was at the helm during the Great Depression, you know, that happened in 1929. And, and this country was in a depression for the 10 years after that until we were into World War II. I mean, it was as bad as it is today, if not worse, from a standpoint, of, it was worse because people weren't getting money from the government. I mean, when you were out of a job, you were out of a job and you had no money. Um, people were trading things like chickens and things that they grew in their yard in order to pay, pay for things back in those days. And, and IBM, with, under the, the leadership of the original founder, Thomas Watson, they vowed that no one was going to lose a job even in the Great Depression, and that meant everybody took a pay cut, I mean, all the way to the top, and everybody, but everybody stayed in, and everyone knew, I've got your back, you've got mine, and we're in this together, and we will get through this. And it was in, in the 80s, which was a long time uh, after that, but, you know, that, that whole thing just came to a crashing stop in the 80s when all of a sudden we had publicly traded companies where the focus started getting on, again, very focused on the numbers and short-term profitability. You know, it's all about the shareholders now, not about the employees, not about, not about the customers. Now it's about the shareholders. 
and putting profits in the hands of the shareholders, you know, as it, I suppose, should, but not to the exclusion of having companies who want to be there every, uh, employees who want to be there in the company every single day, because it's only when you have passionate employees that you're going to have passionate customers, and it's the customers that drive the revenue, and it's phenomenal service that is going to allow you to have great profitability where your customers are no longer sensitive to the price that you charge. In fact, that, that becomes much more meaningless when I know I'm going to get tremendous value because of my relationship with you. So that whole relationship thing just really came to a crashing halt in the 80s and, and we've, it's never changed back. It's never changed back. But hopefully... We are now going through another time yet again, much like the Great Depression, much like the crash that happened in the early 80s um, that started the spin of all of this. And I hope at this point we will learn something and get back to being human beings and caring about each other. I think there's hope because fortunately we've been able in our research to write these books we found some phenomenal role model, heartfelt leaders. And it turns out when you find these leaders at the helm of, and they are there, not in a lot of cases, but they are there when they are, they're at the top of their industry. They're the most profitable businesses in their industry and they sustain through really tough economic times. They're, they, and they, they focus on keeping their employees happy and their employees stay. And it's, Trust is a two-way street. It's a very precious circle, and it's easy to lose, but, but they're there. And hopefully now with these books, we can bring them to people's attention to realize, you know what, life doesn't have to be the way that maybe it's been for a whole lot of folks over the course of the last three or four decades. It yeah, it's be very different. things have shifted roundabout all about again. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about what you just said after and after having read the books. You know, our leaders have been challenged lately in ways they have never been expected to because of the shifts, as you said, that happened in the 80s. Some are leading thriving organizations and others are just foundering. And, and I'm not just talking political leaders here, although we could, you and I could probably have just one whole show about New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda mm-hmm. Ardern and, and how she's led. I believe she's an incredible, heartfelt leader who understands her people as well as the business of being a country and leading and, and what all of that means. You, you talk so much about heartfelt leadership. Before we go into the national news break at the bottom of the hour, what, is it, what does heartfelt leadership really mean and what doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, one of the things that it doesn't mean is wearing your heart on your sleeve and being emotional. It means you lead with your head and your heart to touch other people's heads and hearts. But at the end of the day, it's all about what it really is, is about inspiring others to be the best they can be. And not only inspiring those around you to be the best they can be, but also being a phenomenal role model at doing that 
such that everyone else around you also inspires those around them to be the best they can be. And it, it's a wonderful spiral when everyone feels a passionate drive that they are doing something that's important to them, that is meaningful to them in whatever their role is in the company. And it can be any position in the company. You don't have to be the CEO of the company to be the heartfelt leader and then be the role model for everyone else. You can be at the bottom of the ladder, but treating everyone around you with respect and caring and courtesy and understanding, knowing those individuals, understanding what's important to them and offering them assistance, a helping hand, ideas, how can I help you? I, um, I met a gentleman once some years back and his whole philosophy was on that line I just said, how can I help you? That even if I just met you, how can I have a dialogue with you and help you? Tell me what's important to you. Tell me what you do for a living. Tell me about your family. Da, 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 da. And is there something I can do that would help you, whether I can introduce you to someone or tell you about someplace I know that you're interested in learning more about, whatever it is, how can I help you? And once people know that you are in it graciously to, to just have a great relationship where you're helping them, they will want to help you as well. And when you're helping each other, you become better people, both of you. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that in, in, and of it, in a nutshell is what heartfelt leadership is all about. It's, it's inspiring others, helping others, and helping them be the best that they can be and acknowledging them and respecting them for who they are. But it doesn't mean, if I understand you correctly, uh, that you're going to keep somebody in a job just to be nice. <laughs> no, it's also about uh, holding people accountable. And you have to make sure that when... Being a heartfelt leader means you are able to have what some people consider to be difficult conversations. I mean, think about the times when you've been working with someone and they're just not doing the job for whatever reason. Either they're not able to do the job or maybe they don't understand the job. But a heartfelt leader is going to sit down and have a conversation with someone. And, and I, I think the thing that made it easy for me to learn to do that was I didn't go into the conversation with the intent to say, Laura, you know, you're really screwing up. You're an idiot. Right. <laughs> it was never going into the conversation like that. It was always to go in to say, Laura, have you been? What's going on? Tell me what's happening with your role. How are you feeling about it? What's working for you? What isn't working for you? And when you just sit down, and, and especially when you sit down next to them, not across the desk, not standing over them, but next to them, I'm by your side. And hopefully not the first time you're having a sit-down with the person. No, hopefully you're having regular little conversations all the time. And I used to tell my staff, you know, it, it, we don't have to meet every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. 
we can if that's what you'd like to do. And as the manager, as the leader, I was the one who needed to be flexible there. I needed to fit into their schedule and their time in their way. A lot of managers forget that. You think, I'm the manager, so I'm going to set how everybody's going to handle, and you're going to kowtow to me. No. <laughs> All right, and that's a great thought to get into the national news break. Everybody, I'm here talking with Deb Balkus, the author of Heartfelt Leadership, How to Capture the Top Spot and Keep on Soaring, and the Wow Factor Workplace. We're just having a conversation about leadership in the new world, really, when you think about it. How do you inspire people, even when it seems like things falling apart? We'll be right back with more from Deb Balkan. Welcome back, everyone. If you missed the first half of the show, do not worry, because you can get it on podcast, anywhere your favorite podcast platform is. And if you do listen to this on podcast and you didn't have to deal with the national news break that we just had here live on iHeart, then um, I'd love it if you would subscribe to the show and rate and review the show and share it with your friends because it's the only way that it gets found. I would, I would love for this show to be in the hands of more people to help lift them up, to help them shift their perspectives. As, as you all have told me that, that share with me and email me and reach out to me on social media about how the show has made a difference for you because that's what I'm here for. That's what I do. It's my love of my week is this time I get with all of you. The media wants us to see, right? We see when supposedly a CEO gives, um, they take a cut in their salary to keep people on. We see when essential workers are given a boost in their pay for a specific period of time, right? And then we also see the massive layoffs that are happening with corporations that can't afford to keep their people on, so they're furloughing. You have a website, heartfeltleadership.com, which has wonderful stuff up there, by the way, to help people embrace being heartfelt leaders, become them, expand upon it. What, what is your thinking about what's happening right now do you think that we have a lot of heartfelt leaders in the workplace or not? Well, there, there are heartfelt leaders in the workplace. Sometimes they, it's hard to find them, and it depends on where you are. I mean, in some, in some organizations, it just seems like there aren't any. Um, but it doesn't mean if that's where you are that you can't be one. And, in fact, you, no matter where you are, can, you can make the difference to change the culture from the bottom up in some cases, or at least around you to make where you are and those who work for you or work with you um, feel that they're working in a much more heartfelt place. But they're out there, and um, we, were, we were just uh, chatting, you and I, during the break about um, when I find those, in the rare instances when I actually find an article in the media, about an organization, it's usually not a Fortune 500 company, occasionally it is, where a senior leader has taken action that truly is heartfelt, that you can see that they're doing whatever they can to protect the employees below them. I I find those and I celebrate those and I post them. uh, There's a section in our heartfeltleadership.com website called In Action. And because I want to recognize that, I want people to be able to see those. And so I, I post those. And I think it's 
we all need to do that. You know, when you see good news like that, we need to share it and let people know this is the right thing to do. So how does somebody become a heartfelt leader if they don't think they are? Are there, are there steps that somebody can begin to take to see, number one, if they are one and if they're not, how to grow, or if they are to become an even better leader? Absolutely. It's certainly not impossible to change. And it takes a big person to say, I want to be different. I, I want to I start being different starting today. The best way to do it is ask the people around you, what can I do for you that would make me a better leader in your eyes? How could I become the best leader you've ever had? And if you read my book, you'll see cases where that's exactly what some of these heartfelt leaders who are recognized year after year as running best place to work organizations, they make a regular habit of that. How can I be the best leader for you? And if I'm not doing it right now, what is it that I'm doing? Be open. Ask the question. And, and don't expect to get the same answer from every person around you because everyone's got a different need and a different desire. And it may mean, as a leader, you need to flex and you need to shift depending on who you're working with. You can't do blanket leadership, but ask the question. It's a great place to start. Ask. Those questions are important. That's why we're talking about this today, right? It, it is. You know, and having um, run my own business for a while and recognizing that I was always, not always the best leader um, in my own company, for for various reasons, but recognizing that I wasn't always the best, I was oftentimes better with my customers than I was with my staff at times because I just I didn't lead. You know, I'd be just like, these are things we need to get done, just get it done, kind of thing, expecting that they would do that. So I recognized where I need to be better when I led my company. But one of the frustrations I know a lot of leaders have is getting their staff to understand the bigger picture, how, you know, they want to be heartfelt leaders, they want to be kind, they think of heartfelt as just give the employee everything they want, and that's not what you're talking about, correct? Or no, absolutely, no, it's not. It's, you know, people typically go to work for a company and sometimes you go to work for a company just because you need a job and it's money and you got the job. But if you're looking for a career, people tend to sign on with a company because they're excited about a company. They're excited about what, it, what they do. They're excited about the products or the services that they offer. They're excited about the vision, uh, the mission, the values of the organization. And then sometime along the way, things change, and maybe there's a big change out in the senior leadership or, or whatever. Things happen. But it's, it's typically when all of a sudden people downline aren't so clear on what is the mission of this organization, what is the vision, where are we going, what, why are they making the decisions they're making. Um, it's really important for people to be excited about the company, to be inspired by the mission, the values of the organization, and feeling like they fit. 
And so it's incumbent upon whoever's in leadership and at every point along the way to make sure that not only do people work there understand this is where we're going, this is our vision as an organization, and let that drive how decisions are made, but also then try to figure out how can I as a manager of these people, how can I align what you personally want to achieve in your life, align your personal vision and your personal values, align that with those of the company. Because when you've got individuals personal missions and values in alignment with the company, magic happens. So that's really a, a manager's job, and that is a great place to start if you're trying to make a change. Ask those questions. Make sure that you're clear yourself on the vision, the mission, and the values of the company. And then the, the understanding of that of those who work with you. Many of my listeners are entrepreneurs, and as as we both know, when you're starting a new business and you start adding employees, they often begin to feel like family. Mm-hmm. And then as the business grows, it and you need to make changes to how the business works or the staffing and things like that, the line begins to blur. And it becomes difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs to make the tough call because they're like, well, my employees are family. And they're like, where's that line? What do you say to them, and, and how, how can you lead with heart yet make the, the tough calls, especially when you've always said, oh, well, you're a family, and then they go, well, how can you let go family? How come I didn't get the promotion, or why are you doing that now? Well, you know, think about your family. Do you let everybody in your family just get away with everything? <laughs> No. Did, did your mom just let you do whatever you wanted? <laughs> did your father? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's about you've got to have boundaries. It's, you back to our family values. We have values in this family. We have a clear sense of right and wrong in this, fam- in this family, what's allowed, what isn't allowed. And making sure people understand what those boundaries are, what are the guiding rules that we have in this family and and when you're not meeting the expectations or you're not going within those boundaries uh, you're going to be held accountable in a family and absolutely same way in a business you've got to understand that these are the boundaries and you've got to be you've got to be playing within those boundaries and when you're not we're going to hold you accountable and you've got to be doing your best and if not we're going to hold you accountable I mean, when you got bad grades at school, didn't your mom and dad talk to you and say, hey, why'd you get this C here? Why did you get that D? How could that happen? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. How can we make this better? Now, say a leader, an entrepreneur, never had those boundaries before, right? Because everything was just going so wonderfully. Business was booming, and they never really had to because things just were growing and growing and growing, and now COVID hits, and all of a sudden they have issues that they never thought of before. Mm -hmm. Things start surfacing that they didn't see before. They've never had the tough conversations. What would be your recommendation for an entrepreneur to begin having those conversations? 
Well, I would say transparency is the key. And it may be absolutely counterintuitive to everything that you want to do as a leader because as an entrepreneur, as a founder of a little business, you had all the answers. You had the vision. You set the mission. You set everything. You've got all the answers. But the thing is, when you start really having difficult times, if you can be open, as open as absolutely possible with your team, hey, we've got challenges here, we've got issues here, and I could really use your ideas. We need to work as a team to figure out how are we going to navigate through this. We are in this together. Not I'm in here and maybe you will be here. (laughs) It's we're in this together. So it's being transparent, and you just never know what kind of amazing ideas the people who work for you will have because they see, see things from a different perspective than you do. And it's amazing when you can step away from that problem and get others' viewpoints from where they stand and see the other side. It, it, can, it can open up paths that you didn't even know were there. And in fact, in my book, one of the, one of the uh, CEOs that we interview and talk about there is the, the CEO chairman of the company WD-40. Most people are familiar with that company. Spray can worth of stuff and stop squeaks, right? Right. But um, Gary Ridge is an amazing leader. It's worth reading these books just to hear the gems that he talks about. But he talks about the same thing that... that William Marriott of the Marriott Corporation, the hotels, said many years ago, the three most important words any leader can ever say is, I don't know. You don't have to have all the answers. As Gary says, I have my eyes. Please help me see out of yours. I don't know. Let's work on this together. Let's educate each other, and then we'll both know more. It really sounds like heartfelt leaders, and this is something I got throughout your book listening to reading the interviews that you've had with people, are, are humble. They're willing to say, the business needs help, I need help, I don't know the answer, all the answers. I want to hear what you say because you're in the trenches, you're doing the work all day. Absolutely, and as you read those books, you'll find Gary Ridge is not the only one that tells that very same story and uses those very same words. It's pretty common. Heartfelt leaders truly are probably some of the most humble people you will ever meet, and rarely rarely are they comfortable with taking all the acclaim for the great things that the company did. It's always about the people and what the people have done what the team has done, how great the team is, how great the people on the team are, how smart they are, how they came up with this, how they did that. And so, you know, it can really take a lot of pressure off of you as an entrepreneur and as a leader to know you don't have to know it all. You don't need to do it all. You've got amazing resources below you or around you. I mean, hopefully you've hired people who fill in the gaps for you that you do what you do best and they do what they do best. And none of us can do everything. None of us have all the skills needed to run a company. So leverage those other people out there and it gets so much easier 
when you can do that. But you know what? You've got to be able to trust people. And that's where that trust thing comes back in again. And you've got to stand up for people, too, if, if we make a mistake, because everyone makes mistakes. There's been a lot of trust lost over the last three, four months in, in business and, and in the world, actually, with our leaders at, at all different levels. Mm-hmm. Is that something that a, a business leader can get back or, or not? You know, it is... It is absolutely possible, and it really means you've, you've got to open up and be transparent, and you've got to commit to yourself and to everyone else. I know I haven't always been this way, but I intend to change starting today, and I need your help in doing so. It's a very humbling experience, and for some people who have always had all the answers and think, hey, I know it all, I'm running the company, it can be very difficult to do, and some people never get there. But the minute people see that, wow, I, I, I think he meant that, you've got to be consistent. The issue is you've got to be consistent. Now, granted, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall back a little bit. But just keep focusing on that transparency and asking, asking for help. And then, most importantly, when you get somebody that gives you a great idea, give them the attaboys, give them the recognition, give them the honor that they deserve for coming up with the great ideas. And that credit giving it may appear different for each individual person, or is it the same? No, it's absolutely... very individual because some people really don't like to be recognized in public. Others love to be recognized in public. Some people want to be recognized with money. Some people want to be recognized with a promotion or a different title or more responsibility. Um, but that's, again, where it's really important to know the individuals around you and who report to you what's important to them, what, what makes them comfortable and what makes them feel good. And you, you can't ever know that. You can't assume that you know. Just because you would feel this way doesn't mean that they do. You've got to ask and then follow up with it. And, and continue to ask because sometimes things change for people. And so you've got to keep that open dialogue. And it could be that it, that open dialogue is just, you know, stopping by every now and then, every couple times a day or a couple times a week, whatever it is, pop by and say, hi, how you doing? You know, you have time for a cup of coffee. Can we chat for just a minute? Just give me an update on what's going on and, and if you've got any issues and concerns. And just, it's, it's building those little relationships day in, day out. Uh, even if you're not working together, I had people that reported me all the way around the world and then picking up the phone and calling them and just say, hey, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Where can I get the roadblocks out from underneath you? How can I make your life easier? I love that question about how can I get the roadblocks out from underneath you because sometimes staff isn't willing to tell you that there's a roadblock or you may be the roadblock Mm. and they're afraid to say it. But if you ask that question, sometimes it's a simple thing for you to do. Maybe the roadblock is sending out a memo saying, hey, we're doing this. (laughs) And other times it could just be let me do my job and stop micromanaging me. Absolutely. I'll tell you, when I was uh, running organizations, I always viewed one of the most important things that I did 
was not me doing things per se, because that's why I had teams. The, the, we had a mission to accomplish, and, and we delegated, and the teams did all of the work. My job was to understand what's hindering you. What is causing you to not be as successful as you think you should, should be at this point? What can I do to get the roadblocks out of the way? You tell me what that is, and I will move heaven and earth for you to get them out of your way so you can do what you want to do and become as successful as possible. And I mean, tell you, that is the most meaningful thing you can do for people is to help them be successful because they want to be. Yeah, I remember asking that question of one of my staff when I had my tech company because we had this one client and we just couldn't get the situation resolved. And he's like, I can't get an answer from the vendor. Nobody's returning my calls. I leave messages, whatever. And he's like, can you get me escalated to their support? And I was like, yeah. And I went through, back in the day, the Rolodex, and I found the VP of technical support who I had met in events. And I had his cell phone number, and I called him up, and he's like, hey, Laura, what's going on? And I told him, he goes, that's unacceptable. He said, expect a call in five minutes. Five minutes later, the head technical lead guy called my staff, my engineer, and in literally six minutes, the problem was fixed. Isn't it amazing? And if somebody hadn't asked or said anything, it could have gone on for months. And, and we would have lost clients and, you know, it would have harmed our reputation. But if I hadn't just asked that question because I was looking at what was going on, and I didn't always ask at the right times, but I just love that that question that you, you said, how can I, what is hindering you? Can I remove any roadblocks? Um, Deb, we're getting to the end of the show, and I want to make sure people know how they can get your books, how they can reach out to you. I know you do... Um, consulting and coaching with organizations as well to help them build heartfelt leadership and create best places to work. So how do you reach you? Well, the best way to reach me is uh, on either one of my websites. Um, I've got the heartfeltleadership.com website, and then I have the other one, uh, which you can reach in two ways. One, my name, Deb Bolkes, and it's just Deb Bolkes, B-O-E-L-K-E-S, Dot com, or the company name is actually Business World Rising. So businessworldrising.com or debbolkus.com, either one gets you to the same place. And I've got a contact me tab there, and you can uh, just reach out. My phone number's on there. You can give me a call. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and love to see how, I, how can I help you. And your books are available on your website and wherever books are sold as well? Absolutely. The books are on both websites, so both on the Heartfelt Leadership website as well as on uh, Business World Rising, uh, com. Both books are there, so you can get them. When you order them on my website, I will sign them. I'll personalize them for you and, and uh, get them sent off to you. Or they're available at your local bookshop or on Amazon. And on Amazon, uh, they're in ebook, paperback, and uh, the Wow Factor is on Audible, and Heartfelt Leadership will be in the uh, audiobook version very, very shortly. Excellent. Um, and everybody, I have been a subscriber of Deb's um, email list for a while now with her Business World Rising emails, and I highly encourage you to, to go to the website, either businessworldrising.com, debbulks.com, Heartfelt Leadership. doesn't really matter. Uh, but subscribe because the insights that Deb gives 
in her emails is just invaluable. It, it helps keep me on track. It has me thinking of new questions to ask myself and my clients. And it, it's just really invaluable content, as is the, the two books. So, Deb, real quick, last thought you want to share with my listeners today. Well, one more thing I would share is I am starting something new uh, this month, which is called Mentoring Moment Monday. And so starting in June, on the fourth Monday of the month, I will have an open uh, Zoom uh, meeting, and we'll be restricting the number of people, So, but you can sign up for it, get on that list, and uh, it'll be your opportunity to ask me your questions, and I will be trying to find out how can I help you, and I will be answering your most burning, most important questions about leadership and uh, how to become a heartfelt leader. So I hope that uh, you'll go on my website and sign up for the next Mentoring Moment Monday, and we can, we can talk live face-to-face uh, on the fourth Monday of this month. Oh, I love that. So Mentoring Moment Monday. So go up to any of the websites that we've already talked about. And Deb, thank you so much for being here on the show today. This is so exciting that I finally got to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Laura. Remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Especially in these days and times where the world seems a little in chaos, who are you as a leader and how can you take care of your business and your staff and your own life? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.